Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Soundington Media! Hey Brian, do you think that one day we'll find signs of ancient life on other planets? We could, Meredith. The first thing scientists would probably look for is water. Really? So if there's water on a planet, there might be signs of ancient life? Yep. Did you know that NASA is sending a robotic rover named Perseverance to Mars to look for signs of ancient life? I did hear that. And I bet Mars will be happy for any new visitors. I'm Meredith Stepien. And I'm Brian Holden. And this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. Welcome to Reach, a space podcast for kids. You know, Brian, this is a big week because NASA's targeting a big rocket launch. That's right. If things go as planned, they'll be sending the Perseverance rover to the Red Planet as part of the Mars 2020 mission. You know, Brian, that makes me wonder, if you were on Mars, what would you look for? I'd look for water. Then I'd look for a boat and then a tube because I like going tubing and stuff. I'd look for a rock with a smiley face on it, and then I'd take a picture of it. I wonder what our listeners would have to say. Well, here's what some of our listeners had to say when we asked them, if you were going to Mars, what would you look for? Um, If I was going to Mars, I'd probably see if I could see the sun from there. Um, When I first land on Mars, the first thing I look for is emulsion. And... I'd check and see if there's water and maybe animals. Those are great answers. And you know what? We should look for Martians first. I've been wondering how NASA would launch a rover to Mars and land it on the Martian surface. Well, I'm excited to hear from this week's expert guest, Michael Staub. Michael's a fault management and system autonomy engineer for lunar missions at Northrop Grumman, uh, also known as an engineer who's working on NASA's Artemis mission to the moon. Cool. And he also worked as a flight director for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, so he knows a thing or two about flying to Mars. And with all the excitement around this week's targeted launch of the Perseverance, Michael stopped by to say hello. So Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Reach. Can you tell us about what you do? I am a professional rocket scientist by training. Currently, I support uh, what's called fault management and system autonomy designed for the uh, gateway halo element, which is Northrop Grumman's uh, the habitable element contribution. It's uh, one of the first two elements of NASA's gateway program. So uh, my job is basically to make sure that spacecraft don't do things that they're Now you've, you've worked on spacecraft that were orbiting Saturn. You've worked on spacecraft and rovers that were on Mars, and you're about to launch another Mars mission, right? Can you tell us about Mars 2020? So 2020 is, let's see, that mission was was officially funded when I was in college. So it's been about, been about 10 years since it's been under development. And the Mars 2020 rover, now what we call Perseverance, was a, was, uh, it's a follow-on to the Mars Science Laboratory Curiosity Mission. So 
this this Mars this Mars science program that NASA has been has been funding for well over three decades now. So in 1976, we sent the bike missions. They were life detection type missions. Ended up not finding anything, but the you know there was something about Mars that's always kind of you know it looks like it had water on its surface once. It looks like it had lakes and rivers. And from orbit, we can see that it, it has had some sort of the, the, the signatures for life that we were looking for. But we had to start from at the beginning of, did Mars once have the right ingredients for life to exist? So the first piece of that is we have to determine if it once had water on the surface. Water is, is a great solvent for organic chemical reactions to occur. So if you have water, it's probably a good place to start with. Mike told us about Mars 2020, Another project that launches this Thursday. It's a light detection mission. It is, it is truly the first bio detection mission that NASA has ever designated for, for a mission. Its, its job is to look for life, look for evidence of ancient prehistoric life. Um, what we're talking about here, we're not talking about dinosaurs. We're not talking about complex multicellular organisms. We're talking about bacteria. But uh, what it is looking for, it's looking for not only the chemistry, but it's looking for the particular pieces of evidence we need to support that life would have existed. So what it has on board is a suite of instruments to assess the biohabitability of a location. And then it has a very unique instrument called the sample caching system that's going to take these, these spore samples in, in this region we call Jezero Crater, which we believe is an ancient river delta. For our listeners, a delta is an area of land where running water deposits clay, silt, sand, gravel, or similar material. I didn't know that when I was talking to Mike. Great place to look for life because it's a place where water from upstream flowed down into this, this uh, rich delta. And we know that deltas are very uh, diverse, biologically very rich areas. You just have to look at the Nile Delta to know that. So it's going to look for evidence of of the right biosignatures necessary for life. The other is going to take these core samples. What it's going to do is after that, it's going to deposit these core samples on the surface and it's going to leave them for a follow-on mission that NASA is currently understudying with ESA called the Mars Sample Return Mission. That's going to go to Mars, retrieve those samples, and return them back. We actually have the first actual piece of Mars holding our hands and hopefully if we did our jobs right, there will be ancient fossilized bacteria in that sample. Wow. Now the question, if it's not there, does that mean that we failed? No, of course not. Earth is the only place we know where life could exist. But the fact that we went to this place, we tested our hypothesis, we did everything correct to that point. If it's there, that's great. If it's not, that just means maybe that location doesn't have it. It doesn't mean that life couldn't exist elsewhere. It just means that that particular location maybe lies not there. Maybe we need to change our hypothesis. With the Mars missions uh, a while back, the things you look for are water. So yeah, we need the water, we need the organic chemistry, we need an energy source and we need time. Those are the four ingredients you need. Fair and Opportunity found the water, Curiosity found the chemistry and the, habit and the habitability of Mars, and now we're looking for the evidence that over a long period of time that these, these reactions were allowed to take place, that we were able to build those, those large amino acids to actually have life. That's what Mars 2020 and the Perseverance rover are gonna do. Cool. Yep. And that launches Thursday, July 30th of 2020, right? Yes. At okay. 7.50 a.m. on the East Coast. Okay. And when is the spacecraft supposed to arrive at Mars? February 18th. Wow. So it takes that long. That's uh, a little over six months, right? A little over six months. Wow. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about like what goes into just launching a spacecraft and having it arrive on Mars? Earth and Mars are both moving at the same time. So uh, rather than launching the spacecraft towards where Mars is, we have to launch the spacecraft to where it's going to be on February 18th. But once the spacecraft gets off of off of the launch vehicle, so once the second stage, uh, once it separates off the second stage, and it goes off in its merry way, that's only the first part of a very long journey. So we got through the through what is one of the more hair-raising parts of, of the mission, which is what we call launch and early operations. So we get off the pad, we get on the right trajectory, we're off the we're off the, the second stage, and now we're generating power. We're talking with the ground, everything's. And then throughout the rest of the cruise, which which like we've been talking about, is really over six months, um, we're doing other types of navigation. So we're always talking with the ground to refine where we think the spacecraft is versus where it should be. Mm. We're finding that approach towards Mars. We're doing other types of maneuvers, and we're doing checkout of systems. So one of the first major things you have to do within about a month after launch is you check out all the systems, you turn things on, you make sure things didn't break in the launch environment because rockets are very noisy and they vibrate a lot. We want to make sure that none of our hardware as we were, you know, trying to get the space. Um, beyond that, things are pretty quiet. We don't really do much. We're basically just navigating, sending data back on how the spacecraft's doing until we get to Mars. When we start getting closer to Mars, that's when things get really interesting. So kind of like any spacecraft that enters atmosphere, you know, we have to go through this plasma region as we slow down the spacecraft from 12,000 miles per hour to 1,000 miles per hour. Um, we pop out the supersonic parachutes, we get rid of our heat shield, then we come down on a rocket backpack, we lower the spacecraft down on what we call the sky crane maneuver, which is basically just a crane. So you have this thousand kilogram rover suspended over a rocket backpack that's continuing. Deposit the rover on the ground, cut the, cut the restraints to the backpack, and the backpack flies away. And oh, hey, by the way, that happens completely autonomously under control of the computers because Earth and Mars are roughly 20 minutes away from each other. Let me ask you about the backpack because I think a lot of our listeners may associate a backpack with like, you know, the thing that they uh, put their books in to, to go to school or, or carry around other things. So when you mentioned the backpack, what exactly does that mean in the context of a spacecraft? So when we try to land something on Mars, because its atmosphere is so light, it's only about 1% the thickness of Earth's atmosphere. It's very thin. You don't really have a lot of atmosphere like you do on Earth to just slow down parachute. Because they're so heavy, we couldn't actually land them with the typical uh, technology that we used for Spirit and Opportunity, which was just giant airbags. We just okay. we just uh, had it inside of a shell. We popped some open some airbags and let it bounce on the surface of volcanoes. If the spacecraft is so heavy, those airbags would actually pop if we hit the surface. So that technology didn't work anymore. So engineers at, at JPL came up with a new concept they called SkyCrane which is you basically attach a back a rocket backpack to the back of the rover. And when it detaches from the aeroshell, it it, uh, it drops away, it lights the engines, and then it steers itself away and it slowly, gradually descends itself to the ground. Once it's about 10 meters off the ground, it does this, what we call the sky crane maneuver, which is it lowers the spacecraft, which is attached to these, these, these wires. It lowers it down and it deposits the rover on the ground. And the reason we separate is because we don't want the rockets to be to be kicking up all this dust onto the cameras and the, and the rover surface. We want to keep them clean. So we, we remove the, the rover from the rockets. We deposit it, and once the rover senses that it's on the ground, it has these pyrotechnic charges that basically cut those wires, and then the backpack flies away from the rover so it doesn't impact. Because we don't want it to smack down into it and then destroy it. Right. 
That is a lot of work to land something on the surface of Mars. You have to prepare for everything. You have to prepare for everything. For, for anyone who wants to follow along with Mars 2020 and the journey of perseverance, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to mars.nasa.gov forward slash Mars 2020. Website has got everything you could ever want to know about the mission. Awesome. I think I was on there last night and seeing some cool like computer models of the helicopter that got me really excited. So yeah. I recommend all of our listeners go and check that out. That's mars.nasa.gov slash Mars 2020. All right, cool. Now, Mike, one last question. You mentioned that you worked on the Cassini spacecraft, but you were nine years old when that launched, but you still got to work on it years later. So anyone who is listening right now, who's interested in having a job like yours, where they get to actually fly and and program and uh, work on spacecraft like that, what do you recommend for them to do? I took a lot of the advanced courses in high school. You know, the biggest thing we look for at NASA, um, we're looking for people that, you know, that want a challenge. You know, the type of the type of stuff that we're doing, no one has ever done. Before. No one has ever landed a, 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 a Mars 2020 type rover on Mars. No one has ever built a gateway type space station for the moon. You know, we may have gone to the moon in the 60s and the early 70s, but we haven't done that in 50 years. So the idea that we're now sort of working on another lunar mission, I never thought in my life I'd ever get to work on a lunar mission. So having that, that curiosity, having that, uh, that problem-solving nature, wanting to solve complex challenges. And you know, for me, working on NASA missions, these are missions simply for the sake of asking fundamental questions about the universe. When we send 2020 to the, to the surface of Mars, we're asking a fundamental question. Did life exist elsewhere in the solar system? Can life form elsewhere outside of Earth, which is the only known place in the universe we know where life form? It doesn't have to be complex life like we have here, but can life life start elsewhere? That's a that's a fundamental question about the about human nature. It's a fundamental question about the nature of how the universe works. If life can form on Mars, that means that life can form anywhere. Maybe the answer is that life here on Earth is so very special. You have to have the right ingredients at the right time in the right proportions. Everything has to be perfect or it doesn't work. But that also answers a fundamental question about the universe. Is life, you know, is it something that can happen anywhere with just the right ingredients and the right amount of time? Or is it something that is so uniquely special that it can only happen in a very specific place and a very specific environment? Those are the questions we're trying to answer. And that's what, those are the kind of missions that NASA does. That for me is is kind of the reason why I got into this. It's it's good it's good for the soul to explore and try to answer those fundamental questions about the nature of the universe. Wow, that's amazing. So be curious, have uh, a penchant for wanting to solve those hard problems, and also you know have that curiosity about uh, sort of our place in the universe and try and answer it through space exploration. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Mike. Uh, I know our listeners listeners are going to be very excited about Mars 2020. Thank you. You know, Meredith, we've spent all this time talking about Mars, but we haven't spent any time talking to Mars. Good point, Brian. I mean, after all, Mars has been the focus of so much attention recently that our fourth planet very kindly agreed to say hello on this week's edition of Did You Know? Hello, Mars. 
Thank you for joining us on Reach. Thanks so much for having me. Did you know that I was named for the Roman god of war? Really? And am often called the Red Planet because iron materials in the dirt oxidize or rust, causing my surface to look red. So stop recommending skin products for me. I don't need them. Is it true that you have a big volcano? My surface contains the largest mountain in the solar system. The volcano Olympus Mons is over 21 kilometers, or just over 13 miles high, and scientists believe that it could even still be active. That's pretty cool. What's a typical day like for you? Well, my typical day, uh, honestly, I, I don't do a lot. I'm pretty isolated. My closest neighbor, Earth, <laughs> you guys, is uh, over 60 million miles away, and uh, you never visit. You only send robots, and as cute as those robots are, they're not very good at conversation. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Well, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, Think we could visit sometime and say hello in person? And if you guys ever want to come over sometime, I'm, I'm always free. Just waiting for a friend. <laughs> okay, Mars. Not so much the god of war as the god of guilt. Brian, that was pretty cool. It's not every day that we get to talk to the Red Planet. Yeah, it sounds like Mars is ready for some visitors. I'm glad we're sending another robot, but we might want to plan an in-person trip one of these days. Great idea. And to help us get ready for when that day comes, we invited our good friend Sarah Smale, who's the manager of program development at Chicago's Adler Planetarium, to share a really cool at-home activity about the fourth planet from the sun. Sarah, hello. What activity do you have in store for our listeners this week? I'm super, super psyched about this summer's um, new rover launch, launching Perseverance to Mars. Um, so I thought that we could pretend to be rovers and rover programmers. Yes. How do we do it? How do we do it? Okay. So we can't send humans to Mars yet, right? We're getting ready. We need to learn about it. So what we do is we send rovers to explore Mars and to send back as much information as they can. We can't just be like, okay, go, go over there, Rover, go. You have to send a bit of information. It has to travel way through space. And then the Rover has to get it and do the thing and then tell us that it did the thing and, and send us information. So we have to be really careful about how that information gets sent. We cannot send it like the wrong information or too much at once because if it falls off of a rock and rolls over, we can't just send a mechanic to go fix it. So we're gonna practice sending messages to Mars, to the rover, and then the rover actually doing it. So cool. Um, okay, do we need any supplies to be able to do this activity? Not too much. You need two people. If you're really, really creative, you could probably do it yourself. But it'll be better if you find um, a sibling or a grown-up or a friend. You're going to need something to make an obstacle course with. I recommend soft objects like pillows or stuffed animals. If your grown-ups say it's okay, masking tape is good too. You could mark an obstacle course on the floor with that masking tape. And you need a blindfold. I love it. Okay, how do we do it? How do we do it? All right. So... First thing, you need to make your surface of Mars, your obstacle course. So get those pillows or stuffed animals and mark out a course. Make sure you leave enough space that a person can walk through and navigate without too, too much difficulty. The closer your objects are together, the harder your obstacle course is going to be. So maybe start out, kind of spread out and try it and then make it harder. One of you is going to be the rover and one of you will be the rover programmer. You're going to blindfold that rover because the rover can't make decisions by itself. It can 
only do what the programmer says. So blindfold the rover at the beginning of the course. The programmer is going to give instructions like take three steps forward, then turn right and take two steps forward. If you want to start a little easy, start out with just one instruction. Take three steps forward. If you want to make it a little bit challenging, you can give them a set of instructions at a time like the real rover programmers do. Then the rover is going to navigate the course only following those directions. If you say take three steps forward and that means that they step on a bunny stuffed animal, well then that's what they have to do. That means that they have gone too far and so you're going to have to give them some corrective things like, okay, take one step backwards and then you'll reassess. And you're going to keep doing that until you safely get your rover to the end of the obstacle course and then you can switch jobs and try again so that your programmer can be your rover. So cool and that's because once you tell an actual rover on Mars what to do you can't stop it mid doing it right? Exactly right. It takes a really long time for that information to travel from Earth to Mars. Once it's doing that thing, once it's going forward or turning, it's going to take a really long time to, to get new instructions to the rover. So you are stuck with what you have sent them. Um, I love this, Sarah. Thank you so much for telling us about this awesome activity. I hope that um, folks at home end up doing it and sharing pictures and maybe videos with us. That'll be so fun. I cannot wait to see. And if we have anybody who really wants to be super authentic and make their obstacle course as Mars-like as possible, NASA has a really amazing map of Mars. If you go to trek.nasa.gov, slash Mars. You can go and zoom in and there's all sorts of information about where the previous rovers have landed and explored. You can follow Curiosity's path and then you can see where Percy's going to land in Jezero Crater um, next, what, February. So cool. Okay, and we'll get that link from you so we can put it in the show notes and people can click on it and look around. Yay. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks so much to Sarah Smale for that fantastic activity. And as a reminder to all of our listeners, if you're making a Mars obstacle course, remember the power of responsibility in managing a rover. Keep everything indoors. Don't put the rover in a position you wouldn't put yourself in. And as always, get your parents' permission before any at-home interstellar travel. I like that Sarah already has a nickname for the Perseverance rover. Percy! So I've got an idea for this week's assignment. Send us a picture of your Martian rover obstacle course. Or send us a drawing of the rover you'd send to Mars, and this time, give it a nickname. Then send us a photo along with what you've nicknamed your rover to reachthepodcast at gmail.com, or tag us on Twitter or Instagram at reachthepodcast. We want to see it. I think my rover would be named Dad. Wow. Naming another thing after your dad? No, this one is named after your dad. Oh. You know, Brian, I'm starting to wonder if we should keep talking about Mars on our next episode. Great idea. Especially since we'll have to wait until next year to see the Perseverance landing. Percy! I think I really liked it when Mike said that even if they don't find ancient life, or even if these rovers fail or crash, that's just information they can use to try and get it right next time. I really like thinking about having my own jetpack, just like the rover, and my jetpack is full of snacks and shoots me into space. For additional online resources, check out our show notes. As always, we want to acknowledge that not everyone has access to computers or the internet. If you're not able to get online, 
Did you know that many local libraries have publicly available internet access? Even on Mars? Do they have libraries on Mars? I mean, technically, the rovers on Mars are carrying what's effectively a library of information and data, so, you know, I'd say yes. Okay. Thanks for joining us for Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Meredith Stepien and Brian Holden. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate DeFort, Meredith Stepien, and Brian Holden. Reach is produced by Nate DeFort and Sandy Marshall, who is a solar system ambassador for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and edited by Nate DeFort. Our theme song and additional music was composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Stephen Lyons. And we'd like to offer a very special thanks to Michael Staub, Fault Management and System Autonomy Engineer for Lunar Missions at Northrop Grumman. Follow Michael online at astro underscore Staub, S-T-A-A-B. And join Michael this Thursday, July 30th, for a virtual Mars 2020 pre-launch event and commentary with the Cosmosphere International Science Center and Space Museum. For more information, visit Cosmo.org. Mars was voiced by the amazing Randy Havens. You can watch Randy on Netflix's Stranger Things as everyone's favorite science teacher, Mr. Clark. Follow Randy online at Mr. Randy Havens. And a big thanks to our friend Sarah Smale at Chicago's Adler Planetarium for this week's at-home activity. For more information, visit adlerplanetarium.org. And a shout-out to our REACH learning community for the excellent questions and thought starters. Thanks to Blythe from Michigan and Desmond from California. Do you have a space-related question that you'd like to ask? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Our bi-weekly segment entitled Reaching Out is our chance to answer your questions. Tune in to Reaching Out next week to find out how you can be featured in an upcoming episode. Speaking of questions, I've always wondered, is there sound in space? Meredith? That was the sound of space. But it was silent. Exactly. Oh my gosh, you taught me a lesson without me even knowing! We're so glad to see so many of you enjoying Reach, so be sure to tell your friends and leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice or share an episode on social media. Yes, thank you. And if you'd like to find us online, visit at ReachThePodcast on Twitter and Instagram or on our website at ReachThePodcast.com. Reach is a production of Soundsington Media committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. We've all been there. You're standing in a museum, staring at a painting, and all you can think is, I don't get it. To me, knowing the story behind an artwork is a huge part of knowing how to look at it. I'm Amanda, the host of the Art of History podcast, where we view history through the lens of some really great works of art. Each episode, we dive deep into the bigger picture behind some familiar and maybe not so familiar pieces. Check out Art of History now wherever you get your podcasts.